Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday... My newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I am your host, Ramses Ja. And sometimes the amount of stories that make their way to us means that we simply can't cover everything that comes our way. But from time to time, a story just stays with me, and I feel compelled to share it with you and give you my thoughts. And now, one more thing. I got one more thing I'd like to talk to you right now. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you may know that when the time came for us to broach the subject of the what is being called the Israel-Hamas war, I called in uh, someone I consider a friend. Uh, his name is Ami Horwitz. He is a journalist and someone who has spent time on the ground, underground, as uh, a researcher. He spent time with Hamas soldiers. He spent time in Israel and in Palestine and had some perspective and could get us some insight into what was going on. For a person like me, he provided a lot of insight into what that was all about and helped bring me up to speed so that I could pay attention and absorb information. Um, whereas without his involvement, everything may have just sounded like noise. Well, one of the things that I understood and he understood is that there was only so much that he could speak to because he himself is a Jewish man. Um, in other words, he is not a Palestinian person. He has not had access to what the lived experience might be like. And while he could empathize, again, as an American, Jewish American conservative journalist, what it might be like for Palestinian folks, his position was rather more supportive 
of Israel, particularly in that moment right after the Hamas attacks on, I believe it was October 7th. But like I said, since then, I've, I, he's helped me establish a foundation upon which I could receive information and declutter it. And it wasn't just noise. There were things that I could now put into buckets, if you will, and follow the story um, and look beyond the media narrative. Because to be fair, if you looked, if you look at the media or really certain parts of the media, you might not get really anything that truly reflects what it's like to be Palestinian prior to those Hamas attacks, what life was like day to day for the, for the Palestinian folks, and indeed what life is like now that the bombs are going off, those Israeli slash U.S. bombs are going off. And one of the things that I wanted to do on this show if you again, if you if you heard that episode with me and Ami, you know that I said I wanted to bring on a guest. I would find the right guest who could offer some perspective into what it might feel like to be a Palestinian person making sense of what's going on. Well, today I have a person who I've come to truly appreciate. Her name is Suzanne Aslam. And this will be my, my second conversation with her. Q is with us for this show. I called in the big guns because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, this is a very heavy, heavy lift for us. Q and I, um, you know, for longtime listeners of this show, of course, you know that Q and I do Civic Cipher together. Um, and we often process trauma, traumatic events together. We have our own little community with the two of us and we have a system. We often have to make sense of what activism look, looks like and what our role is uh, with respect to human rights violations and on and on and on. And so Q being here um, is a result of me feeling like in order to A, give you the the, the interview and the insight that you deserve as a listener, um, knowing that he'll be here uh, asking the questions and providing the perspective that I've come to appreciate in our private conversations, I thought that that would really strengthen the conversation we're about to have. And of course, uh, Suzanne herself is uh, in college. You were a human rights major. Um, we talked about that uh, just now. So not only do you have the framework of how to make heads or tails of human rights stuff, um, but you yourself are a Palestinian woman. Uh, you're a former actress, former Miss Arab USA. Uh, you're a writer, um, and uh, you spent time in Palestine working with a peacekeeping team, and you obviously have a deep and personal understanding of the occupation over there. So not unlike what Ami was to Israel, you, I believe, are the most qualified person that I've met to have really the second part of the conversation that we've been wanting to have, and I believe that the people deserve to have access to. 
So I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Black Information Network. And um, I want to start by saying that since my initial conversation with Ami, where there were a lot of rumors that proved to be falsehoods about, I, 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 from what I understand, and you can please either of you correct me if I'm wrong, the initial Hamas attacks on, again, I believe it was October 7th, were horrible attacks. They were just attacking people. But what was said about those attacks made them sound even more heinous than they were with, in particular, the beheading of children. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned since then is that that was unsubstantiated or otherwise it was not true. Now, since my conversation with Ami, I have actually seen video evidence of people, but really children, who have been obliterated. Um, I don't want this to be a conversation where the details are so graphic that you cannot listen, but I do believe that it's important for me to express at least to some degree on this show the horrors, to some degree, the horrors that are taking place so that you, our listener, can understand why this second part of the conversation is so necessary. And so I will say, one of the, uh, the, the, one of the many things that I have seen, the things that have kept me up at night, um, one of these things is I saw a man pull out from a pile of look like body parts two legs and they were just legs and they had the little kid shoes still on the feet and they were, it was just two legs and he shows it to the camera and then he puts the legs there. And so when we talk about who's actually bearing the brunt, whose children are actually bearing the brunt of this war based on the evidence that I've actually encountered, I'm seeing that these are Palestinian children. And I don't want to pretend like they're not people of all ages who are, you know, they're pulling, again, forgive me, because I don't want it to be too graphic, but they're pulling guts and body parts and what's left over and charred remains and all these things. And people are weeping and crying consolably. And you see the video evidence of um, I, another that comes to mind, I saw a man, he's laying and you can see that he's not going to last much longer. I'll spare you the graphic details. And he has these piercing blue eyes as he's laying there. And I believe that there's a loved one with him who is praying. I don't understand the language. I wish that I did because he deserves for his last moments to be more than just this thing that I'm able to do on this microphone. Sometimes I feel so frustrated because I know that that man deserved more than that. 
you know, I often wish that people had a little bit more dignity in their final moments when there's conflict like this. But to the best that I'm able to recall, I, I just remember his blue eyes opening and his dirty face from probably a bomb or something and a man praying for him. And so it's not just children, although children is what kind of gets the clicks in the headlines. Um, I'm going to ask you for your thoughts, which is basically carte blanche to just start where you want to start. But first, Q, let's play a video that kind of moved me um, and I think kind of gives you a, a little bit of an aperture, an audio aperture into what it sounds like to be there. So let's go. These people lost their homes. They are down evacuating to Shifa. They are sitting outside because there is no places in Shifa. They they pumped the place outside. They pumped the, the door. I've been there just before two minutes. It could be me. <laughs> Suzanne, talk to us about how that, where does, where does that take you? Or, or tell, I know you know who that is. So talk to us a little bit about her and, and where, where does that take you? What she said. Uh, her name is Bisan. She is a journalist and um, she was an aspiring filmmaker, but now this is her this is her life. She records as much as she can when she has access to record. Um, she every day will put up a new video when she can saying, hi, it's Bissan. I'm still alive. And that's all she can hope for. Um, she'll show I haven't had water in hours or days. And like, this is the amount of water I have. It's 200 milliliters. Um, and she's, she's grateful. And I was on a podcast the other day with the woman who was talking about survivor's guilt. And she's like, I'm about to go to Spain just for fun. And I, how do I do this? And, um, it's just so difficult for me because I feel all this pain and she's crying to me. And I said, no, I understand. And then a few days later, Bisan, um, put out, uh, she's a broadcast channel on Instagram that I follow. And she put out a, a, a little voice recording that I sent to my new friend. And it was saying, um, life is so precious and we want you guys to be happy and we hope that you're living your life to the fullest and to the best that you possibly can. And that was so moving to hear because while they are looking for support and they want to be heard and seen, they also aren't asking for you to only have 200 millimeters, milliliters of water a day. They're not asking for you to be suffering along with them. They just want their voice to be heard, but it makes them happy to know that life is still existing that people are still alive and people are still well and happy um and that that said a lot to me about Bisan in particular this woman in this video that she paused and took a moment to say just make sure you out there are living your lives and it's something that we shouldn't take for granted it was really beautiful um what she's experiencing people ask just as an aside but also really important what can we do and people think that social media doesn't matter. Why would Israel turn off the internet in Gaza if social media doesn't matter? Sure. You know? And the best thing that we can do for them, not best, but one of the big things, is to find people like Bisan and other journalists and make them as public as possible. Okay. 
the more they're in the public eye, because they've already killed like almost two dozen journalists. So the more we put journalists in the public eye, it we're hoping it protects them because they are actually targeting these people. But the more that they're, it's a PR nightmare for the state of Israel if it's it becomes very clear that they are purposely attacking people. yes yeah. journalists yeah. getting because the, they don't want them to speak they don't want them to get the word out so um our goal has been to try to put them in the public eye as much as possible and uplift their voices as much as possible in order to keep them safe um it's weird to have that kind of conversation yeah. and to have to talk about it in that way but that's that's what we're hoping for um as far as where to start carte blanche there's a lot of places that we can go but um one thing I want to say is we don't really see it as a war and words matter. And um, this is not a war because a war is oftentimes two parties that are equal or almost equal. I've got guns, you've got guns, and we come in guns a blazing. This is not what's happening here. This is just pure ethnic cleansing and genocide. Um, when you call it a war, we get to go, oh, well, let's learn the history of both sides and let's see who's, you know, who, what's going on here. And let's see if we can really unravel who should win. Mm -mm. That's not that's not the case. This is just a straight up in very intentional genocide. And if I may be so bold, this is the very definition of terrorism. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Today we are joined by Suzanne Aslam and Q Ward discussing the Palestinian perspective of the Israel-Hamas war and the Free Palestine movement. Don't let me stop you. <laughs> so, so, well, go ahead. So, people, um, my neighbor asked me this the other day when all this started happening. Um, he was like, "Oh my God, I was there three weeks before this went down, you guys. Three weeks." This is your neighbor or you? Um, I, me, I was there three weeks before in Palestine before this went down. Okay. And so my neighbor, you know, he was like, oh my God, weren't you just there? And we were talking and, and I was trying to explain to him what was going on. And he's like, wait, so you, you like Jewish people, right? And he sort of, you know, got a little, like he cowered a little, he, he felt uncomfortable asking me this question, but he also really was wondering if I was just walking around being racist. Sure. And it, this question drives me crazy, but I also understand that the world and the country that we live in prompts people to ask this question. And it is not the first time when someone finds out I'm Palestinian, wants to know if I if I don't like Jewish people. So this is when we have to go, okay, there's a difference between Jewish people and the state of Israel. The state of Israel does not re- represent all Jewish people. In fact, our biggest supporters for the free Palestine come from come from our Jewish brothers and sisters. We have everything from Jewish Voice for Peace, uh, Rabbis for Human Rights. The most interesting one to me is Breaking the Silence. Breaking the Silence is a group of Israeli soldiers who thought, even though they lived in Israel, they thought that they were, they were defending Israel. They join the army, they go out to do their their defending and then they go oh no we're just upholding an occupation oh my god look at what we're doing this is awful and they created an organization called breaking the silence where they teach other young israelis about what's really happening in the occupied territories in the west bank and in gaza because they don't know and they're like 40 miles that way and they don't know so um and that is an organization made up of soldiers, Israeli soldiers in Israel who love Israel and want to see it prosper. And they're still like, yeah, but not like this, not like this. And so the fact that our biggest supporters are, are Jews says so much about what's right and what's wrong here. I want to um, add to that. I saw something. It was very troubling, but it was so where I live, it's a neighborhood of they're Hasidic Jews, right? Um, Hasidic Jews are the ones they have like the... The curlies. Yeah, yeah right? Uh, cool people, quiet people, keep to themselves. Um, I see them walking around. And I saw a group of them, this is filmed, and I believe it was filmed on the ground in Israel. Their protest and the soldiers, or rather the police, it might be police, Israeli police, who, by the way, train yes. United States police officers. Yes. They go over there to get mm-hmm. training. And I've seen videos from these 
protests in Israel mm -hmm. where these Hasidic Jewish men are being beaten yeah. by the police. So I'm guessing you've seen it too. Yeah. I saw one where there was a little girl. Little girls, half the, you know, these are, these are big guys, the police officers. And you know approximately the size of a little girl, you can imagine. We're men, right, with man strength and testosterone. They were treating this girl, child, the, the height is a child. I didn't see her face, but you could see the height and the build. This is a child. This is not a tiny woman, it's a child. There's no two ways about it. And they were just beating this little girl. She might have said something or whatever because the video doesn't show what happened before then. But you, it's very clear that a child cannot harm an adult right. man, police officer with, with the, the weapons. Weapon. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so the reaction was like, whatever she did, it, right. it doesn't warrant that type of response. And I think that even that's indicative of where I've arrived at this point in terms of how I'm looking at. Israel's response, which is, if you have an issue with Hamas, your attitude of you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet mm -hmm. seems way too cavalier of an attitude when you're dealing with human beings. Now, I want to say this, and I want to get your response, and feel free to jump in, Q, if, if you feel uh, so inclined. But when I first spoke to Ami about this again walking into it not knowing anything there was an attack the day before two days before he and i are just talking okay so what's going on here tell me right and he's like yeah so there's a group they're called hamas and blah, you know i got it from the beginning he told me in that conversation that hamas has the tactics of a terrorist organization and that they are unafraid to use human shields. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but this is what he said. He said that Hamas will set up bases inside of schools, hospitals, places that typically would not be targeted as military um, locations. But that's where Hamas sets up their bases because they feel more fortified against those missiles. Then you're not going to blow up a hospital because we're not going to kill 300 people to get 12 of us in the basement. This is, that's true. Boy, were they wrong. So this is, you're right, right, exactly. But this is kind of what he was saying Hamas felt, right? And Israel needed to respond because obviously an attack like what happened on October 7th cannot go unanswered for. So um, Israel has done, again, this wasn't a good or a bad thing, according to Ami, as he said it to me. He's like, this is not good. I want it to sound like it's good. And it's not bad. It's just where they've gotten it to. But he said the number that they've arrived at is one civilian casualty per one Hamas soldier based on the density of the area and based on the tactics that Hamas is using, effectually using regular civilians as human shields. In other words, there's no way for Israel to respond and, and, and root out Hamas without there being some collateral damage or breaking a few eggs. Now, and I do want you to say this, I want to just 
says last piece. As he's telling me this, um, I could see that he didn't love that. That was the reality. Right. But that was the prevailing thought as he articulated it to me. What I've seen since then, and this is what I want you to respond to, what I've seen since then suggests to me that that number was either something that was used to um, quell the investigative questions. Like, hey, aren't you killing a bunch of regular people over here? You know, we got it one to one. So it might not have been accurate. And based on what I'm saying, it doesn't seem to be accurate. And the last point I'll make, and I seem you both want to jump. I know, I love your face right yeah. now, Quinn. The last point I'll make is that where I've arrived today mm-hmm. is that if that one-to-one is a civilian approximately my age, I, you know, I'm a man, the nature of my life, I believe our lives is to be ready, to be, to, 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 for death, <clears throat> death could be anything. If somebody disrespected Q's mother, that could be the last day that Q lives or the last day that somebody else lives. You have to be ready to protect your family all the time at a drop of a moment. And it's that state of readiness. So men, we kind of live in that space a little bit more. So if it, that one-to-one is one Hamas soldier for one adult man, approximately our age, and that's your justification, maybe that fits a little bit better. When I saw them take out two babies, legs with the shoes on it and that baby is the one to one that i don't believe is accurate but if that's your one to one that baby is paying the price and that price is too high now go first and we'll keep jumping okay three things number one um we need to understand that we're not this is not uh, a risk this is not the regular rules of war because this is not a war mm-hmm. so hamas was invented in, I want to say, like 1987. Um, so first of all, we can ask, what were they doing before 1987 when Hamas didn't exist, but was were still terrorizing Palestinians for 50 years? Israel was terrorist. Israel was terrorizing Palestinians for okay, 50 okay. years before the existence of Hamas. Okay. So just like keep that in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, keep it in your mind that Hamas doesn't exist in the West Bank, where Palestinians are still constantly terrorized and experience apartheid on a daily basis, my family included. Hamas doesn't exist there. So what is their justification there, which we will talk about? Um, Hamas was invented at a time where the politics in the Palestinian territories where they were they were creating organizations, political organizations that were trying to be more more secular, more liberal, more like, you know, like just sort of regular political groups. But that doesn't very work well for the state of Israel, because if you have secular just run-of-the-mill political organizations that don't look like terrorist groups, it becomes harder for the state of Israel to decimate the Palestinians, which is the end goal, which I'll get to. So they supported the creation of Hamas. They supported the creation of Hamas. This is not conjecture. Like this is, this is true. And, um, and they funded them. This is like us when we funded Osama bin Laden back in the day to, to fight Russia. Was it Russia? Um, that, yeah. So we funded them and, and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, they're our enemy now. Like this, it's, it's just sounds so familiar. It's the same thing. Sure. Um, so it's really important to know that because we're sitting here going like, oh, but they're, you know, this is Israel's number one enemy. They were useful to them. Third thing, um, 
when and I heard a guy say this and I was like, man, I really love this response. When the United States was looking for Osama bin Laden and we found out he was in Pakistan, did we go in and completely bomb all of no, Pakistan? Stealth helicopter didn't make any noise. We didn't know anything about it until it was over yeah. and Obama gave this speech and it Dropped was all hush hush and they sent these these the SEAL Team 6 in and they did their thing. Um, Israel has a remarkable military. I mean, I don't love them because what they do to my people, but they have a remarkable military. They have the most incredible intelligence in the world. You want to tell me that the only way is to carpet bomb civilians that you can't go in. There's tunnels under Gaza. From what I understand, you can't go in and you can't find them. You can't use that intelligence to pinpoint exactly where they are. This is not about catching and killing Hamas. This is a great excuse to ethnically cleanse a region that you really want to keep it for yourself. This has nothing to do with Hamas. They're just a really great story. And then you get to tell Americans, because we all love an enemy, you get to tell Americans, oh, my God, it's the war on Hamas. It's the war Israel and Hamas. It's not Israel and Hamas. That's not what this is about. Israel has been terrorizing Palestinians for 75 years. But when we go, when they say, oh, my gosh, Hamas did this really terrible thing, America gets to go, here's $100 billion. Go do what you got to do. And then what they wanted, because what they want to do is they just want to take more and more land. They this is this is the Zionist project, which is a political philosophy, not a religious philosophy. They want the entire state of Palestine. And they got almost all of it, with the exception of the West Bank and Gaza. Gaza is this densely populated concentration camp of two million people that Israelis don't live in, but they completely surround and it is controlled by the state of Israel. Water, electricity, food, imports, exports. They can't go fishing five miles out into the Mediterranean because they won't let them. So they want that. And now they're saying there's talk of like, well, why don't you just send them to the Sinai? Israel is trying to get Egypt to take them by saying, hey, we'll pay off your debts to the World Bank. If you go ahead and take these Gazans. This concludes part one of our three-part special with Palestinian-American, human rights major, and former Miss Arab USA, Suzanne Aslan, discussing the Palestinian perspective on the Israel-Hamas war and the Free Palestine movement. Check back in with us tomorrow for part two of our three-part series right here on the Black Information Network with me, your host, Ramses Ja. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.